Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship, those of you here in the sanctuary and those of you watching online as well. Let's prepare our hearts and minds to worship God now as we listen to the prelude. Let's join together now and as we read together to call to worship that's printed here in the bulletin. We come to worship God who has made us and knows us. We come to celebrate God's presence among us. We come to follow Jesus who leads us to new life. We come with joy, knowing in Christ we have eternal life. We come to listen to the Holy Spirit who calls us forth. Let us worship our God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer.
Let's pray. Holy God, we come here today as your beloved children, your daughters and sons, each and every one, and we revel in our belovedness, the good news that you have chosen us, you have created us, you, re you sustain us, you redeem us in Jesus Christ because you love us. And because of your love, we are led to respond to that with our own love, our love to you, our love for one another, for our world, for this creation, and indeed for our neighbors and even our enemies. Holy God, bind us together by your love into a circle of care and compassion that we might see our lives in the context of your love and that we might treat one another as we see ourselves now through Jesus Christ as your beloved. May we love others in his name. Holy God, by your Holy Spirit, meet us now as we enter a time of silent prayer. God's people say together, Amen. And let's pray together the prayer of preparation and confession that's printed here in the bulletin. God of grace and mercy, you have called us beloved, but we have refused to believe it. You've called us to follow, but we have dragged our feet. You give us the promise of your gracious presence, but we forget to look for you until we're backed into a corner. You are all the strength we need. We exhaust ourselves trying to be in charge. Deliver us from the depths of our despair, O oh God. Mend our broken hearts and defeated spirits and teach us how to be your faithful disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, brothers and sisters, as faithful disciples, we are told again and again in Scripture, and I proclaim now that in Jesus Christ, God accepts you, God forgives you when you fall short, and promises to be with you wherever you go to lift you up and to guide you to become the person you were meant to be in Jesus Christ. Receive that good news. Let it impact how you live your lives and be at peace. Amen. Stand and greet those that are around us. welcome you to worship this day if you're on the inside aisles if you'll take the pew pad sign yourself in and pass it on down if you're visiting with us today a special welcome to you we're glad to have you uh, welcome to all those people watching uh, live on the website uh, 
Greetings there as well. Announcements. Uh, two weeks from today, we're going to have our homecoming Sunday. We're going to gather everyone in, start off the programs. The choir will be back. Uh, and we invite you to dress casually for that worship service because afterwards we're going across to the park where there'll be a picnic. And so that's two weeks from today, homecoming Sunday. Um, the high school and middle school programs are gearing up this week. They're starting again, and today is the first day of our Sunday school program here as well. Children's Sunday School, Hope Cafe. Last month we had 20 people uh, helping with the homeless feeding program at Hope Cafe. Another one is coming up on September 14th. If you'd like to be a part of that, it's a wonderful service opportunity. In 2001, right after I came here, uh, I had the opportunity to meet Randy Roth, who was a pastor who had just retired, and he was starting a new organization called Faith Network. And the purpose was to be able to tutor underperforming children in Oakland schools. So now, 18 years later, we have still been involved with Faith Network all these years. There are many people that are out there who have been tutors with them. Uh, and they've, re they've changed their name, and it's now called Children Rising, and Jim is here to come and tell us a little bit about the organization and where they are today. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Morning. It's great to be here. It really is great to be here at this wonderful church. Uh, all of us at Children Rising not Faith Network anymore, Children Rising, are uh, just extremely grateful for everything that this church has done for us as well as for our ability to help the children and for the children directly that you do. Let me give you a little background for those of you that may not know um, as much about us. Uh, I'll tell you just a quick story about Jeranita. Uh, she's a, a beautiful nine-year-old with just a ton of energy who was in our math tutoring program last year. However, her energy and excitement and sense of humor hid her struggles. She and her mother were homeless, as we found out, and had been for quite some time. Even though she was in the second grade, she was assessed as a beginning kindergartner for reading, writing, and math, which meant that she couldn't read anything, and she couldn't count to 10 fluidly. She would always guess until she got it right, though. After working with her wonderful tutor uh, through the years, she was adding and subtracting, uh, just in the course of a couple months um, and, and was transformed in terms of her confidence. Uh, she was also really working hard to make progress on reading as she read along with her tutor. Great progress was made with this little girl in a very short period of time and we've seen this happen again and again and again with just a little TLC and personal one-on-one -on -one attention. It's all these children need. Each year approximately 1,800 Second grade children at OUSD start the school year substantially below grade level skills in reading and basic arithmetic, 1,800. Most of these children are more than two grade levels behind and can't read at all. Many have difficulty understanding how to count and simple addition and subtraction is unbelievably challenging to them. They just can't do it, it's a puzzle for them. Um, if not impossible. If these children enter third grade continuing to be substantially below grade level, this is the important point, uh, many will not catch up and they will continue to fall further and further behind as they go through school. And it's just simply not fair that these children are posed with these, these individual challenges. So last school year, your financial gifts via the alternate gift market and the accrual fund uh, we're part of making it possible for us to provide 
400 elementary school children the gift of this foundational learning uh, so they could catch up and have improved self-confidence and a renewed sense of hope. Just transformative. There were 23 members in this church who were math and reading tutors, which meant that this church provided this one-on-one -on -one love and care for 46 children. Uh, we know from the teachers at school and by end-of-year assessments that the care that was provided by members of this church all made a profound difference in helping these children have a better chance of continuing to learn and achieve as they continued school. Just really profound. There were other members of this church that made a, um, uh, another type of contribution. They teamed with us at Alameda County Food Bank and allowed uh, food begging and supported food begging for 1,200 children through the year so they could have food over the weekend so they could come to school thinking about learning and certainly better able to learn. Right now, there are so many more children, and we all know there's lots of different things going on where people are struggling, but there are so many more children who are struggling to overcome the challenges created by generations, generations of poverty, violence, and educational inequity. Over the next few years, we hope to provide up to 2,000 children each year with the additional support of a weekly volunteer. 2,000 children, that's five times more than we did this past year. It's ambitious, um, and we know that, but I also know that there are so many people in this community uh, and in the East Bay that once they understand the children and understand uh, how possible it is to help, uh, they raise their hand and say, let me help. And so we just need to get the word out. So in, in closing, let me, um, let me just say again that we'd be just extremely grateful for your continued support, of course. Um, uh, if you can and you can find the time and we can inform you about what it takes, uh, consider becoming a tutor. Um, there's magic that occurs when a little extra attention and love provides breakthroughs uh, in learning with these little kids. I know I'm a, um, a tutor um, and have been for the last couple years. And once you sit alongside these little people and see their lights go on, you don't have a chance. Uh, they're, they're, they're just amazing kids. Um, so it's truly special to see when it happens, and it happens a lot um, in, in our programs and with the, the commitment of our, our uh, volunteers in the community. Um, and it's one of the reasons our tutors come back year after year after year. Um, second, help us spread the word, if you would, about our new name, about Children Rising, but more importantly about the children uh, that Children Rising is, is helping to, uh, uh, to support. Um, uh, let your friends, neighbors, everyone know. Um, we're running the campaign during the next 30 days, and I have more information about that, but if you'd like to sign up, it wouldn't take much of your time. Uh, um, I can tell you how to do that. I'll be outside uh, after the service, but if you'd like to sign up, uh, it could make a, a world difference in terms of just letting the community know. Uh, so um, our, I'll close with our vision and, 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 and really what our prayer is. It's that every struggling child is reached by a caring community at a critical time in their life to nurture hope, the courage to dream, and the opportunity to thrive. Please keep these children in your prayers as we all strive to reach and empower as many of these wonderful children and youth as we possibly can. And uh, once again, just thank you for all the support and thank you uh, for everything that you all have done over the years.
Thank you, Jim. Show of hands, how many of you have served as a tutor through Faith Network and now Children Rising over the years? How many of you have considered it? <laughs> well, those of you who did it also considered it, but that's a whole other thing. I want you to know that I did it for an academic year. I tutored two uh, children at what used to be called Webster Academy in East Oakland. Their first language was Spanish, and I was able to tutor them in reading and English. And I had a full-time job, as I still do, and I had two young children and was volunteering in Piedmont schools as well as coaching. So I found the time, one to two hours during the week, to help out kids in uh, underperforming Oakland schools. And so I encourage you and invite you to move your intentions into actions and to reach out to help these children rise. Let's continue now in prayer. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us today in this place, wherever we are, in our lives, physically, emotionally, spiritually. May the world know your desire for all people to praise and to give thanks. In our differences, bring unity. In our lethargy, bring life. In our despair, bring hope. Surprising and generous God, your spirit is among us, sending us into new adventures, opening new doors, exploring possibilities beyond our wildest dreams. May we be a people filled with the desire to respond to your glorious good news, with the energy for your purpose, for the centeredness that only your spirit can bring. Grant us new life in your spirit this day, we pray. Holy God of healing, we also pray for those who are sick and in need of your healing touch. We pray for the discouraged, for the depressed, for those in grief. Forgive them and heal them and feed them the bread of life sufficient for the journey. We pray for the wounds of our world. We are bold to pray for an end to war, that captives would be released for the hungry to be fed, for the homeless to be housed, the oppressed to be set free. We pray for our leaders, God, both in our own community and in our nation, as well in all, as in all communities and nations, that our leaders' hearts and minds would be large enough to match the breadth of your compassion and concern for all people, and that our souls, our own souls, would be strong enough to follow when they lead us with vision and wisdom and mercy and justice. God of grace and glory, it was through your providence that in the miraculous feeding of so many so long ago by the seashore, there were 12 baskets of food left over, one for each disciple to take and to share and to feed others and so in the same way, we pray that you will equip us as your disciples today to take and to give the gifts that we have received, the, that nourishes us, that fills us with hope and with purpose and also with comfort and compassion, that we can take the bread that we have and share it with others as your present-day disciples. Multiply our efforts beyond our imagining. You've done it before. 
And we pray that you would do it again here and now among us. Ready us for ministry and service, God, for we pray together in the name of Jesus who teaches us to pray with one voice, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. couple of words before we read our scripture passage today. I have a friend who's a, a therapist, a psychotherapist, and uh, all week long he sits in his office and people come to him and they talk about their problems. And I asked him one time, what's the most common problem that you hear from people? What's the biggest problem that people struggle with? And he answered with one word, fear. Fear. Usually we call it something different like anxiety or worry, but it basically, at the bottom, it's fear. Fear of the future and what's happening in our life. 
It can happen at any time in your life. The high school kids that graduate or have some fear and anxiety about going away to college. College graduates have anxiety or fear about entering the job market. Parents have fear about how their kids are going to turn out. As you get older, you have fears about your body breaking down. So that's why the passage that we're going to read is so important, because it is Paul's antidote to fear. It's something to remind ourselves over and over and over again when we find ourselves entering a place of fear or anxiety in our own lives. So here's this beautiful passage from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in much fear and trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glorification. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. So one of the big questions of human existence is the question, what will happen to you on the day that you die? What will happen on the day that your physical body is dead. There are two big answers to this question. The first is the answer given by the group of people, you could call them the new atheists, people like Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, the late Christopher Hitchens, people who write books saying how dumb it is to believe in God. And their answer is nothing. Nothing happens on the day you die. That's it. It's over. The light is out. The play is over. Uh, It's not a new idea, obviously. People have had it for years. It was expressed very well by Shakespeare in the famous quote from his play Macbeth. Remember these words? Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time, and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. So that's one answer. The other answer is from the Bible, the Old and New Testament, and you could call it the Christian hope. And the answer is that when you die, when your physical body is is gone, 
that the essence of who you are, we, we call it the soul or the spirit, returns to where you came from originally, returns to God. And that you go to live with God forever in eternity, and the individuality of who you are is retained. You're not a drop of water going into the ocean like some religions teach. You're actually an individual, and the individuality of you returns to God and lives in a glorious place with him forever. That's the Christian answer to, to, the, to the question. So, how do you feel about the future? When you think of the future, when you think of your eventual demise, is it future tense or future relaxed? <laughs> Mickey Newbury, one of my favorite country singers, has a song called The Future's Not What It Used to Be. Future is not what it used to be. That's pretty well sums up the tenseness that many people experience when thinking of the future. Some day in the future, some historian is going to look at our culture and is going to dis discover a thing that we have called Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law. You know what it is. If anything can go wrong, it will. Then there's a lot of other variations on it. If nothing can go wrong, it will anyway. Everything takes longer than you think. That's, I know this to be true from home improvement projects. The other line always moves faster. The probability of a peanut butter sandwich falling on the carpet face up is directly proportional to the cost of the carpet. The light at the end of the tunnel is probably an oncoming train. And the real clincher, Murphy was an optimist. <laughs> Murphy's Law is amply illustrated in a cartoon that I saw one time, multi-panel cartoon. The first panel, there's a guy crawling through the desert. He's crawling and he's dying of thirst. The second panel, he comes to a little guy with a stand and it's, he's selling neckties. The guy says, do you want to buy a necktie? And he says, no, I just need some water. So third panel, he goes on, he's crawling. He comes to this beautiful restaurant in the middle of the desert. And he crawls up to the doorman and he says, I've got to have some water. And the doorman says, sorry, gentlemen not admitted without neckties. <laughs> it's hard to know what you're going to need, isn't it? In the future, it's hard for us to know exactly what we need to be able to handle the future. That's why I love this promise that we read today. What no man has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, you ain't seen nothing yet. We can't even imagine all the good things that await us as children of God. It's hard for us to even imagine. So a couple of comments on this theme. First of all, uh, the Bible tells us that this world is a foretaste of greater things to come. That this world is just sort of a, you know, a sampler of greater things that will come. The reason that we have difficulty imagining what the next world is going to be like is it's hard for us to imagine anything better than this, right? 
It's hard for us to imagine. I mean, when we experience beauty, when you, when you drive through Big Sur or you, you drive into Yosemite Valley and you see this, you think, wow, what could be more beautiful than this? Or when you experience the excitement of falling in love, you think, what could be more exciting than that? Or you experience the emotion of seeing a baby born. What could be more meaningful than that? How can heaven beat this, we wonder? Let me take a little survey here this morning. How many people here would like to go to heaven when you die? Can we see your hands, please? Okay. All right. How many want to go today? There's always a big difference in those votes. Always a big difference. I don't feel bad about it. I don't want to go today either. But it's interesting. We want to go, but we love, we've fallen in love with the earth, haven't we? We've fallen in love with life. There are many things here that we do not want to say goodbye to just yet. Heaven may be great, but we're pretty fond of this world too. But the Bible says that this world is just a foretaste of things to come. You may have heard the story about the lady who died, went to heaven, and she gets there, and it's fabulous. She just loves it. A few years later, her husband dies. He goes up to heaven and joins her, and she's showing him around, and they're both just saying how fabulous it is. And the husband says, yeah, but Mabel, if it hadn't been for your health food, we could have been here years ago. We want to go, but maybe not quite yet. I read of a little church in Ireland that was on the edge of a lake with these beautiful green rolling hills. And the church had gorgeous uh, stained glass windows, like we do here. But they decided to leave one of the windows clear glass, plain glass. And underneath it, they wrote a little inscription from the scripture that said, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. The stained glass windows were beautiful, but there's nothing more beautiful than the creation that God has made in this world. Dorothy Gardner, in her book, Eastward in Eden, puts it like this. Sometimes when I'm working in my garden, when the day is hot and still, I am transported to another world. The hum of bees seem like singing wires from eternity. It is as though a message were trying to come through, and I know what it means, but I can't hear the words. I like to think that my garden is heaven, but I know it is only evidence of heaven. The beauty and glory of this world are but a foretaste of the wondrous things that await us. The love of our family and friends are but a pale shadow of the love that God has in store for us. Can we get our mind around that? And the most beautiful music in this world, whether it be Bach or the Rolling Stones, is nothing compared to the music of God. Everything in this world is but an inferior imitation of that which is coming. And then secondly, we anticipate the future. I heard of a painter who was so paranoid about anybody seeing his work before it was finished that every time he left the studio, he would put a sheet over his painting that he was working on with the words, wait and see. 
Didn't want anybody to get a look until it was just finished. That's Paul's word for us. Wait and see. We enjoy a foretaste of what we anticipate in the future. Now, I know that this topic, talking in today's world about heaven, can seem a little kind of corny, a little archaic, a little bit weird. And I think there's a couple reasons. I mean, when I was growing up, we sang all these hymns about heaven in the church that I was raised in. Heaven holds all for me. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Those kind of songs. We don't sing them much anymore. Why? Because I think it just seems a little bit out of place in today's world. I think there are two reasons, perhaps. First of all, it is true that throughout history, the talking about the next world has in some ways disempowered people from improving this world. Some people felt like the, 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 when the slaves adopted Christianity and began uh, thinking about heaven and where they're going to go, that it took away the power, the impetus for them to change their situation here. That's what Karl Marx believed. He called religion the opiate of the people because it can kind of drug you into not worrying or caring about the problems of this world. So that's one thing we have to be aware of and, and, and concerned about. The other problem with this topic is our, our cultural notion of what heaven is. When I say the word heaven, what are the images that come to your mind? In our, in our world, it's weird stuff like angels, wings, clouds, harps, sorry Steve, harps, um, Peter standing with the pearly gates and a little desk there. It's all out of a New Yorker cartoon. It's all in New Yorker cartoon images. Of, what, what, what other images do we have other than this kind of stuff? It's, it, it's made it difficult to talk about. I came across, though, a, a definition of heaven that I'm going to share with you that I think is way better than all those corny things. Imagine this. What is heaven really like? Imagine the best there can be, and it's better. Imagine the most beautiful there is, and it's better. If imagination is hard for you, how about math? Take the best day you ever had, add it to your tenderest moment, Multiply that by the best thing you ever did, then add the greatest joy you've ever experienced and the most noble desire you ever had. Now multiply that by 1,500, take it to the power of the cube, and you will have some of the dimension of heaven. If math is hard for you, how about a picture? Picture a world where every person makes a difference. Each makes a contribution and everybody knows life is better because of the gifts each brings. Picture a world where every unblessed child has a beaming parent telling people on the street, this child is mine and I'm so proud of her. Picture a world where every abused spouse experiences only gentle touches and kind words and knows the joy of fearless love. Picture a world where every poor soul who craved the addictive and was enslaved to the destructive has been set free and never feels those death-dealing compulsions again. Imagine a world where there is more than enough food for everybody and none of it ever goes to waste. Imagine a world where everybody has a room and everyone is perfectly content with the place that was made just for them. Now that's something to look forward to. 
And so lastly, our hope comes to us only by faith. Paul mentions in this text that you can't get there by logic. You can't get there by science. The only way to come to the Christian hope is through faith. To choose to believe that. To to throw your chances with that great hope. That's how we get there. Hope comes through faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By faith we understand this hope. He makes it clear in our text that it is only through uh, faith that we can get there. He says that uh, it's the only way that we can live without fear is to have this faith that God has laid out for us. Heard the story of an Episcopal bishop who was dying. He was on his deathbed, and his friend sat in a chair right next to him. He said, Bishop, tell me the truth. Are you, do you fear crossing the river of death? And the bishop said, no, no. My father owns the land on both sides of the river. So why should I be afraid to cross? That's our hope, folks. God owns the land on both sides of the river. Right now and on the other side. The only way you can come to that is by faith. That's why we need to remember this verse. What no eye has seen or heard, nor the heart of man conceived, God has prepared for those who love him. There's a song that they sing at funerals a lot. And uh, Steve and Andrew are going to play it for you. And it's a good choice because it, it shows you exactly what I've been talking about. The idea of hope that when our bodies fail, God will carry our spirit home. Catch you 
Let's give thanks together now to God as we pray together the words of the prayer of thanksgiving that is printed here in the bulletin. Lord God, you have given us everything, all we have and all we are. We praise you for all of your loving gifts, and we bring to you now our gifts. We dedicate what we bring and all that we are to serve you in mission and ministry May all that we do proclaim to the world your great love for all of creation. In Jesus' name, amen.
brothers and sisters, I remind you that as you leave this place, you go forth as representatives and ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ. So live your life this week in such a way that wherever you are, when people see you, they'll see Christ living in you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and always hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen. Go in peace.